We'll cut that out of the podcast later. I just, I feel like there's kind of this like, you know, I think it's because you know we're talking about judgment. Is that what it is? And you're just already like, oh, buckle up. Come on. Here we go. It's going to be good. Um, here's the thing um, with, with judgment as we talk about this heavy thing. Like there, there's this phrase, if you've been around kids or you've been around whiny people, they tend to have this phrase they say all the time. Do you know that phrase? It's probably on the screen. Have you ever heard this? Have you ever said that? Like, you're in the McDonald's line because you've submitted to temptation and sin, and you're literally desiring poison for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And you're... <laughs> judging early, aren't we? So, you're in the line, and this isn't in my notes, this is for free for you. And there's two lines there. I don't know how they organize this. Chick-fil-A can figure this out, and McDonald's can't. Can we clap for Chick-fil-A for a second? Okay. So, and for some reason you're like, you know what, my kids need some of that just condensed milk, sweetened, iced, sugary stuff called ice cream that is probably nine times out of ten not available at McDonald's. They pretend they have it, but they don't. The machine's always broken. Um, and never cleaned, apparently. No offense if you like own or know someone in the McDonald's franchise, right? Um, this is just all cheap, easy humor, right? So, there, but anyway, if you're waiting for your ice cream, for some reason, no matter what line you choose, four people in the other line get to go before you. And you have the simplest order. You need four ice cream cones, child size. They take probably 45 seconds total to make. I've seen them make it. And somehow, the three trucks, the guy with a boat, and the SUV full of humans get to go before us. And in your mind, you're like, that's not fair. Say it. Say, that's not fair. There's something that happened. You watch the news. There's a, it just sits in us. There's something. And that's why it comes out of children so early. You don't have to teach kids about fairness as soon as they learn the language. Before they learn the language, if they have siblings or whatever, if they're at a daycare, you see them get angry, abusive, tense, hit, scream, bite, because justice must happen. We have this deep desire that things need to be made right. The big question in life is how are all things going to be made right? without that rightness not crushing me. Because in some ways, we're all culpable. In some ways, we've been the truck that gets to go first in the McDonald's line and somehow crush someone else, even inadvertently. In some ways, we've taken something from someone else and they've, they didn't get the job and we did. In some ways, we are culpable for someone else's life being hard. So how in the world, even in ways we don't know, the Bible calls those iniquities, right? Things that are against the patterns of God's desire that we don't even recognize. How, how are we going to have judgment without being judged ourselves? What we want is a judge. What we don't want is to be judged. We want them to grade on a curve. Is that right? But then there's always that kid who does well in math class. Where are you at? Look at me, math kids that do well. I see you. Can't hide from me. Okay, so, <laughs> so, like and so if they grade on a curve, still people like me are out. And so we want this judge to grade on a curve. But if the judge grades on a curve, they're not a good judge. They're fake. They're a liar. And one thing we despise is authority figures who are fake, who are liars, who are uh, partial, who aren't fair judges. Because then we get back to, that's not fair! What's the standard then for these judges? If there is a judge, what's the standard? I mean, we would say, ah, oh, okay, well, the Bible says ultimately love, love God and love others. That's the standard. But even more deeper, deeper, just secular humanism in general would say, well, you know, we, you need to be a good person. Be generous. Do good things. Who says what a good person is? Who says, defines what it means to love God and love others? Who decides what it means to be generous? How would you know? 
The desire for justice is far more pervasive than the belief that God in Christ is going to return and judge the living and the dead. We want justice. We don't want to judge. Jesus wants you to know this morning and in Scripture, there will be a judgment, and he is the judge. So uh, three things this morning. We're going to talk about judgment. Say judgment. judgment. We're going to talk about Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. We're going to talk about right now. Say right now. Right now. Because it implies right now. I love it. There it is. Right now. First, let's talk about judgment. So in verse 24, um, if you look in John 5, verse 24, he specifically says, Jesus, as it starts, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. I can't get the board out because the board's there for something later. But um, normally we would talk about a Greek word here. So the Greek word is uh, krisis, or it comes from a deep word, krino. Say krino. All right. The word means, we talked about this before. Does anyone know? It's probably on the screen. Huh? To decide. It's very simple. I talked about this last year, I think, uh, or maybe two years ago, and I asked, who's got the best burger in town? And we all debated and argued, and everyone knows it's Patty's, but forget about it. I'm sorry, you're wrong. But so, like, and so I've made that judgment. Carino, I've made that decision, right? The basic word here for judgment means to decide. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, duh. But here's the problem. When we read words, we impart things in on them. And so you've already imparted judgment, gavel, pressing down, squashing, throwing them into prison you've been judged. The base word here means to decide. Also means to separate, which we'll talk about here in a minute. That's why you see sometimes the word condemnation. More on that here in a little bit. But the word crino means to decide. There is a judgment, a decision, a separation. Those who hear and believe in Jesus will not be separated. They'll pass from death to life. A couple points about judgment as we talk about judgment. Say judgment. First, it says his judgment is just. I left verse 30 in there so that we could see that because we could have kind of just skipped over that before we got to the witness stuff. But it's important because he says, my judgment is just. No one can stand against it because it's just. It's objectively just. It comes from the objective source. It's the floor, the groundwork, the base. Everything is built from this. It comes from God himself. Jesus says that my judgment is just. Every mouth will be stopped. No one can speak against it. He gets the final word. Now, now we get to the uncomfortable part. Right? The next little bit's the uncomfortable part of the sermon. Right? But it's the truth. Jesus says judgment is on the basis of deeds. Deeds. Verse 28. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil or wicked to the resurrection of judgment or condemnation, some translations say. Those who have done good. But wait, you say. You guys preach the gospel every week. You've told me that, that the Bible doesn't, isn't interested in my works. You've said I can't do it on my own. In fact, you make that a very apparent every week, whether it's Jimmy or David or Adam or Nathan or someone else. We make it very apparent that the gospel is that you look to Jesus. You can't do it on your own. And so as soon as I say that, hey, uh, you're going to be judged on your deeds, it should create a tension in you, right? Or maybe some of you type A people are like, yay, this is what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for you to tell me that it's how good I am. Hooray. Here's the tension. 
See, Jesus is trying to poke at this reality that sometimes we don't want to deal with how it's both and. We want to be saved without having any transformation. We want life to happen. We want things to go about without us having any culpability or response at all. As if, as if belief is just merely guessing. Belief is just merely saying, ah, I kind of I want the Chiefs to win, but they, they might not, so I'll just say I believe it, but if they don't, I'll say, ah, that's okay. We'll, we'll try again later. It's not something that we're actually committed to. More on that here in a minute. Verse 28, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, look at verse 24. Jesus starts because four is before eight. So 24, Jesus starts by saying what? Whoever hears my words and believes is him, uh, in him that sent me has eternal life. They aren't condemned. They pass from death to life. Belief in Jesus and the Father, that's what moves from death to life, only faith in Jesus. So what do we do with Jesus saying that you're judged on your deeds? He, catch this. Your deeds are an index to your heart. Your deeds are an index to your heart. What's an index? It tells what's inside. It gives you, hey, hey, this is what's going on. This is how you find this is what's inside. It's an index to your heart. The fruit of the tree doesn't give life to the tree alone. It reveals that the tree has life. That's why Jesus in Matthew 7, after the Sermon on the Mount, he ends it with saying, hey, hey, there are those who prophesy and have prophets and, and they're doing these things, but they're not really doing it in, in my name. They're claiming to it in my name, but there's something off. There's something wrong with their hearts. And he says, you'll know them by their fruits. He goes on and on. Read it, Matthew 7. He says that you don't gather thorns from fig trees and you don't gather figs from thorn bushes. Then you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know what's coming out of them because your deeds are an index to your heart. In fact, I took this out of my notes, but we talked about this uh, last year when we went through judgment and things. Uh, the Bible has several verses in Matthew, in Romans, that says you're going to be judged on your works, you're going to be judged on your words, you're going to be judged on your thoughts. If you're interested in that, I can, I can send you uh, references and articles to that. But then you start asking, why is Jesus, why would Jesus in Matthew and why would Paul in Romans be saying that, that the Lord will judge our thoughts and our heart and our words? because those things reveal your heart what you truly believe this gets back to the partial and impartial judge we don't like people who are partial because that seems like they're not being honest they're not being forthright they're not being true if someone says something and does something else we have a word for that we get really fired up the church is full of them what's that word hypocrite and it fires us up it causes great division, makes people not want to be around Christians. It's caused problems and wars and tensions. Jesus is saying your, your heart, your words, your mind, they reveal, they reveal what you actually believe. Dallas Willard said, we live in a culture where you can profess things you don't really believe and believe things you're not really committed to. If you truly believe Jesus, it will change your heart. It will change who you are. It must. You're not saved by your deeds. You're revealed by your deeds. Look at Ephesians 2. We go to Ephesians 2 a lot. You all should have it memorized by now. Ephesians 2. Uh, it starts by saying, hey, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, which you walked. And we've talked about zombies, living dead people, walking. They're walking and they're dead. It's what the Jesus even says. You pass from death into life. Verse 24, right? So you're passing from death into life, implying that you're dead right now. And then we get to this verse, verse 4. But God, even though you're walking in death, but God, who is rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Remember, for God so loved the world. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We were walking in death, and he made us walk in life. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship. It's not your works. Your works don't save you. They reveal you. You're saved by your faith. And your faith then produces life. Produces what God intended for you to live in. God changes you. Transfer spirit enters you, scripture says. It enters you and seals you. And then you walk in newness of life. That's what he says there. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As in continuing to go, moving forward. Not, not so that we walked in them, past tense. No, we continue eternally walking in the goodness. You are saved by grace. The only sign of life is growth. Are you growing? Are you less angry than you were last year? Are you less bitter? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit, as he mentions? We'll read those in a minute. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are those things that are growing in your life, revealing that Christ is transforming you? Or are they revealing that you don't really believe in Jesus? You don't really trust his authority. You trust in yourself. And it's creating separation and death in you. Look at your deeds. The judge will. Look at your deeds. The judge will. Jesus wants you to know that there will be a judgment. And that he is the judge. The pain of judgment, the depth of judgment, is separation. The word krino, as we said earlier, is to judge, to decide. But as you make a decision, what happens? You're separating. This isn't hard right? Don't, don't read more into this than what, what we're saying here. It's a pretty basic principle. If someone says, where do you want to go for lunch? And your spouse baffles you by saying the same thing they always say. I don't know where you would go for lunch. <laughs> Tell me so I can make you happy, my bride. Anyway, center. Okay, so calm down, calm down. No, it's, you decide. Not this place, but this place. Never these places, ever. Who eats at Long John Silver's? Anyway, sorry, I'm really against fast food today. Holy cow, so sorry. That's, none of this is in my notes. It just comes out. You're welcome. You decide. None of this, yes to this. That's what happens. Jesus says... They will pass from death to life. They won't have condemnation. That's what he says in verse 28. Verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Your translation might say judgment. It's the same word. Maybe, maybe this will help. this way. We have a separation here. Clear separation. Say separation. separation. Say it like you're not confused. Good job. Now, 
So we have this side, and we have this side. List, list some good things. What's an objectively good thing? Tiramisu. What else? Coffee. coffee. Deeper than tiramisu, because you can't have tiramisu without coffee. What else? Tacos. What? Bread, pudding. Bread pudding. Okay, uh, aside from food. Sorry, I started us off on food. What else? Health. Huh? Guitar? Yeah. Health. Mountains. Yeah, creation. What are some bad things? Like, there's just no way to make it good. Trash. A mouse in your house. Dude, been there. Man, that's a battle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Complaining about your wife about food restaurants. Wow, we're, we're going pretty surface here. Uh, what about death? Yeah. Cancer, evil, wickedness, poking people in the eye with sharp sticks, and angry aggression, whatever it is, right? There's these things. Here, let's, uh, let's read some Bible verses. This is important. So when God defines himself in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, the Lord passed by Moses and proclaimed, we went through this, we did a whole series on each of these words a couple years ago, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so what you have here is the Bible listing objectively good things. It's okay if you can't see all that. We'll have them on the screen here in a little bit. But you've got the Lord, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, steadfast love. Then you also have the fruit of the Spirit. We'll read here in a minute. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are objectively good things. Who doesn't want these things in their life? Is anyone in here like, you know what? I could do without mercy. And slow to anger. I'd actually rather be fast to anger. I really like it when people are hot-tempered, yell at me. Uh, and faithfulness, none of that. Which of these are you okay just getting rid of? You're like, ah, I'll take all the joy and faith, but none of the peace and patience. Come on. Like, it's almost like a package deal. Why? Because God is the floor. God is the objective source. This is the Lord. He's given you. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to have life? These things. Because this is who the Lord is. Now, if you read in Galatians, it says, now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, fits of rage, some translations say rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit are those things. So, so we have on this side, as we're deciding, crinos, we're separated. The pain of judgment is separation. We've got these things. Sexual morality, hatred, jealousy, wicked, envy, drunkenness, anger. I mean, we could make a whole list. These are Bible words. But we, could, we could add so many other things that are bad. Here's what Scripture is saying. There will be a separation. The word condemnation means to separate. We, you see, when we talk about life and death, in the world of the Bible, you have life and you have death. Put up the list that's got both on each side. Boom. You've got life and you've got death. You have wisdom and you have foolishness. You have resurrection of life. You have resurrection of condemnation. We like to imagine God throwing people into a lake of fire for their skin burning and God sniffing it and getting all the glory and being so happy. And so we just like imagine like God, like bah, bad people. <laughs> toast. 
And we get all fired up and emotional about that. And I'm not here to say that's not what Scripture says. That's not the point. Um, the point is, I think that it misses several steps of what's actually happening. And that's what we want to talk about when we say separation. Say separation. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Jesus is life. Apart from Him, there is only destruction. Uh, uh, coming apart. See, the further you get from God, the further you get from love, joy, peace, from merciful, from graciousness, the less you have those things. This isn't hard to understand. I'm further from them. I'm over here. I'm going near something else. Opposing values. Separate things. It's a separation. And it makes you incoherent, disjointed, separated, broken. Things don't fit together anymore. Any doctor will tell you that if your heart gets in the grip of worry, guilt, shame, stress, hiding things, knowing that you did something wrong and hiding it, being thwarted with guilt, that your body will start to respond and fall apart. This is common knowledge. You know people like this. The Bible knows and tells you that apart from Jesus, who is life, there's only separation and destruction. Your soul, your heart, your body, whatever you define as self, it starts crumbling and ripping apart. You become less and less human, and you are eternally separated from the presence of the Lord, which is life. There is a division. There is a separation. And you are either having life, walking in newness of life, or you're trajecting away from it towards death, towards destruction. The ultimate punishment, the judgment for living a life in rebellion to the Lord, for seeking to find life in yourself, as the devil said in, in Genesis 3, you can define good from evil. You can be like God. It ends in death. It ends in separation. You've seen this happen with people consumed by guilt and shame. See, in Romans 1 says that God, he gave them up to their sin and rebellion. He handed them over. Their pursuit of themselves, they wanted to live their own lives their way. God gives them what they want. It's fine. You, you go. You want to live life on your own, your own way? Okay. He gives it to them. They come apart. They lose their ability to have love, joy, peace. They fall away. And this might seem really harsh to you. This might seem confusing, but this is the language of Scripture. There's, there's no confusion here. To come away from the Lord who is life is to become less human, to be separated, to fall apart, to crumble, to be destroyed. Jesus says they will be resurrected into separation, not eternal life. Everyone resurrects. All of us die. All of us resurrect. Some of us resurrect into eternal life. Some of us resurrect into eternal separation. What fairer thing could the Lord do than eventually give those who want to be apart from them what they want? Think about this. When a kid does something wrong or they hurt themselves, they're full of anger, and they run away. They run away from you. If you chase them down and catch them and you pick them up, what do they often say? Let go! Leave me alone! Just get away from me! Stop it! I remember one time when I was a kid and I hurt my back somehow and my dad was trying to pick me up and I yelled at him. I think I actually think I cussed at him. It was a big deal because I was in middle school and you know I was using big boy words, you know, like you hurt here in school. And it was a big I just get away from me, Dad. 
And everything I wanted was for my dad to take care of me. But everything that came out of me in my anger, fear, age, get away from me, let go, leave me alone. And if, if you give that child what they want, you would hurt them. Because what they really need is to be taken care of. For you to bring them into life, for you to heal what they have broken, for you to be a part of this trauma they've experienced. But I say, let go, leave me alone. And, and for those of you who've experienced this, we've walked through several families who've gone through this. At some point, you, you can't just pick up your child, right? You can't just hold them and protect them away from their poor decisions. People that you love and you care about, you can't just grab them and say, get away from this, it's killing you. Because one day you have to say, okay, it's not what I want for you and it's killing you and I'm watching it destroy your life, but it's what you want and I can't control you. If we continue to say, let go, leave me alone, one day the Lord will say, thy will be done. And he will. And it's heavy and it's hard because it's so sad. And it's so sad that we miss it, we forget it, we act like it's not the case. We ignore it, we get tense, we, we pretend like it's not there. But one day, God gives the rebellion in our hearts exactly what it's pursuing. And that's being away from him, which is life. This is the language of the Bible. This is separation. This is hell. This is eternity separated from him. Eternal punishment is another phrase used in the Bible. Let go. Leave me alone. The Lord says, okay, thy will be done. And instead of walking in eternal life, where we see what it means to truly be human, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, love, joy, peace, patience, this is humanity. This is what we were created for. Instead of seeing those things, we see only this. These things that we would say, these are bad, these are inhuman. I don't want to know someone like this. People who are consumed by these things aren't, aren't okay. Please, whether you're listening to this in the future, watching right now, sitting here, quit running from him. Quit telling the Lord to let you go, to leave you alone, because he is a good father and a good judge. And one day he will. One day he will let you be, and you will be separated forever. You will come apart. You'll be destroyed. He'll give you exactly what you're asking for. But he hasn't left you yet. Hear me. Lean in. You're hearing this right now. Whether you're coming across a podcast later, whether you're watching it online right now or you're seeing this room, he hasn't left you yet. Maybe there's people in your mind that, that comes to mind. He hasn't left them yet because God is telling you right now that there's hope in Jesus. And they need to know that there's hope in Jesus. Praise the Lord that he's put you here. That you don't have to be separated. This isn't all fear and doom and gloom and, oh, you're going to be judged, so pull yourself up on your bootstraps and do good. No, no, no. This is, hey, there is a way. There is life. It's not all hopeless. Faith in him. Believe in him. Trust that he has all authority. How can he do this? We've been talking about judgment. Say judgment. How can he do this? The answer is Jesus. Say Jesus is everything. Jesus Christ was sent that we might not have any condemnation. John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. Because he loves the world. He's trying to save the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. 
How's that explained? You're like, wait, what? But he is. He's the judge. He is going to condemn. Verse 18 explains. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not separated. They're not coming apart, being disjointed. They have life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Already separated. Why? Because they're consumed. They're consumed by hatred, envy, jealousy, drunkenness, and they don't even know because the devil is the father of lies. We'll talk more about that when we get to John 8. They're condemned already. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is everything. Here's 1 John. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. I said earlier you should memorize this. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Say advocate. Say advocate. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Some of your translations will say propitiation. Atoning sacrifice might get you there closer. We don't have time to unpack that word. But he's the one. He paid the debt. He made the exchange. He's the one that was sacrificed for you. And not just ours only, but for the sins of the world. You have an advocate in King Jesus. Say, I have an advocate. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ is worthy to be the judge because he took on the judgment. Jesus is the judge and takes on the judgment. He does both. He's a good judge. He was crucified like the worst. I don't know if people have unpacked this for you, but crucifixion was set for the worst criminals, the most dishonorable, most painful thing that could be happening to you because it was a way to say, we are so above you that we can torture you, kill you slowly, and make you look like a complete abomination to all humanity all at once. And Jesus took all that in. If your sin is small, your Savior is small. But if your sin is great, you must need a great Savior. Our sin is great. We need a great Savior. Galatians tells us that cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. Jesus took our curse, the judgment, the condemnation. This, the cross. He is our advocate. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. There's this barrier, this separation. But then there's this cross. There's this thing. Jesus, Jesus came. There's one mediator. There's an advocate. He is our advocate, the atoning sacrifice. He stands before the Father. Jesus stands before the Father on our behalf. He's there. He's talking to the Father. And, and, and anytime there's this, oh, okay, but, but there's some wickedness. This person sins. Jesus is our advocate. He says, God, it would be unjust for you to take two punishments for one problem, for one sin. I paid the punishment. I paid the cost. So whenever you decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to just live in my flesh today and, and mess up and go apart from God. And as the Spirit convicts you and you get all full of guilt and shame, stop. Because the verdict's in. Jesus advocates for you. He stands before the Father. He doesn't see you as one consumed by pornography, as one consumed by anger, as, as some awful, chatty, Kathy, gabby, gossipy jerk. He sees you as bought and paid by His blood, as robed in righteousness, 
entering the kingdom alongside him. He advocates for you. Who advocates for you? Who advocates for all the junk in your life? Who advocates for all the ways you mess up? Who advocates for the guilt and the shame and the pain that you feel, the the lack of parenting that you did, the missed relationships? Who advocates for that as you feel broken and disjointed life? Who advocates? The Bible says Jesus advocates. He removes the barrier. Jimmy, can you come up here? Jesus not only removes this barrier, he stands in between. Opa. Jesus is the only mediator between what's separating us from him. King Jesus, we have an advocate. He stands in between. As we want to focus on barriers and sin and guilt and shame and what separates us, Jesus says time and time again, I am life. He is our advocate. He removes the evil. He transforms us. The Bible says his spirit enters you, and these are the works of the spirit. You, you want more love in your life? It only comes through Jesus. You want to have peace? It only comes through Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is everything. And as we say every week, Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. Judgment and Jesus connects us to today. Right now. Say right now. Right now. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, no separation, no, no crino for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. Here's what this means. Street level. What does this mean for me now? Great. Cool analogy. There's the cross, but I still have wickedness. There's the cross. I want to be more loving. I'm trying to look to Jesus. What does this mean for me? If Jesus is the judge, it means three things. If Jesus has taken on your judgment, if he's the advocate... It means three things. It's the end of boredom. Our culture has raged war on boredom, and we believe we've won because we have supercomputers in our pockets. We never have any reason to think. But here's the idea, is we didn't want boredom around because we wanted to believe we can overcome. We don't want to have to question. We want things to take, uh, take use of us. We want to constantly be spinning and busy. We don't want boredom to, to overtake us because, oh, there are things that don't matter. But here's the truth. Boredom has never been an issue. You have no reason to tap your foot and be bored because everything matters. Say everything matters. Everything matters. We said last week, if he has all authority, then that means that what you watch on Netflix matters. How you spend your money matters. He's the judge. He's the advocate. Everything matters. How you raise your kids, who your kids date, what, how, you're, how, how you approach being a grandma, grandpa, how you deal with your estranged child, how you approach getting married, how you approach the inconsistencies in your job, all the bitterness and rage. He's the advocate. He's the judge. It's the end of boredom because in Ephesians 4.10, it says that we are created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works that he prepared for us. Are you walking in the good works that he prepared for you? Or are you bored? Or are you sitting back like, ah, these things don't matter. I can do what I want. I'm retired. Do whatever I want. No! You can't do whatever you want. You follow King Jesus. Oh, man, if only we got to this vacation. I can't wait to get my two weeks of vacation cash in so we can go to wherever we go and just do whatever we want. You can't do whatever you want. Not because you, you're not free. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus has authority, and all of a sudden you get to walk in the good works he created you, and then you actually get to rest. Then you get to enjoy vacation because he's authority. He's judge. It's not all on you. It's the end of boredom. Second, it's the end of bitterness. Two things about bitterness. Bitterness is a desire to see someone brought down. 
It's the poison that we drink, hoping and believing it'll kill someone else. Bitterness is the desire to bring other people down. It's the poison that we drink, hoping and believing it'll kill someone else. We don't need to judge others, to hold anything over them, to allow their decisions to crush us, to pressure us, because we understand there is a judge. This happens all over scripture. Lord says, vengeance is mine. He is the justice. He is the judge. The Hebrews, through all the junk they went through, they trusted that he was the judge, that he was life, and that he was judgment. And Jesus says he's the judge. And so all of a sudden, there's no need to have bitterness as if you can bring someone down, as if you can poison them, because that's not on you. You get to release that. Then all of a sudden, you can walk in, what is this? Slow to anger, steadfast love, forgiveness. All of a sudden, you can treat people the way that God told you to, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the end of boredom. It's the end of bitterness. Here it is. It's the end of self-hate and self-orbit. I know. I know you. I've shepherded several of you for a long time, and I, it's not, shepherding is not just me standing up here spouting biblical thoughts at you and just radically ruffling your feathers, throwing the Bible grenades, and just letting the shrapnel hit. God taught me from the beginning, memorial doesn't need a preacher. It needs a shepherd. And after six some years of doing this, I've gotten to know a lot of you very well. And there's very few people that come into the church for very long that my wife and I don't spend a lot of time with because we love you, because we're compelled by the love of Christ. That being said, you can't fool anyone. We know the self-hate that you're consumed with because we see it come out. We see, you might be able to pretend for a while that you're not an angry bro, and then all of a sudden you're fired up at the drop of the hat. Why? Because we know what you're consumed with. We know what's actually controlling you. We know the self-hate, the self-orbit. Hear me. If Jesus is standing before the Lord advocating for you, if he's your judge, and if he's judged you as being righteous, clean, made right by him, he's advocating for you, stop taking yourself to court. Stop it. Why do you get to decide? Why do you get to every day decide you're not good enough, you're failing, I need to do more, I gotta finish this, I gotta get busy, I gotta go. Stop taking yourself to court because you're not the judge. You're not the advocate. What, are you gonna stand before a holy God and say, ah, I'm not so bad? No, you're not the advocate. Jesus is life. If you trust that Jesus is the advocate, that Jesus is the judge, and that he's the good judge who's taken on your punishment, that he stands between He's the mediator. He's the advocate. He's taken down the barrier. You're no longer separated. You are welcome in. You're an adopted daughter, son. You're robed in righteousness. If you believe that, stop taking yourself to court. The way I do this for myself, it's a short phrase. Alex and I read a book that was really helpful to us, and the phrase is, the verdict's in. So I think, ah, had a hard conversation with Adam. I feel like I crushed him because I'm a big jerk, and I blah, 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 and I can get all these things. My mind can be spinning. All of a sudden, I'm the worst guy in the room. Stop saying, the verdict's in. King Jesus is over this. Need to apologize, maybe. Need to ask for forgiveness, but I need to let it go because the verdict's in. I need to be transformed by King Jesus, not overthinking about how awful I am. It's the end of boredom because everything matters. It's the end of bitterness because he's the judge. You can forgive. You can let go. It's the end of your self-hate and self-orbit. It's not about you. He's the one who stands in between. It's not about your porn problem. You stand before him and trust him. It's not about your broken marriage. You have to look to him because he's life. 
Jesus is, is speaking to us this morning. And if I were to put words to it, I would say, Jesus is saying, I'm life. I am the judge. You have life and walk in good works that I have for you, or you walk in death, slowly coming apart, being disjointed, having eternal destruction separated from me. When, let me ask you this, when Jesus looks at you, does he see someone who believes in him and follows him and is thereby adopted into his life, his eternal life? Or does he see someone who doesn't trust and believe in him and is trajecting towards death and separation. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you trusted in him? Are you seeing the end of boredom, bitterness, and self-hate, self-orbit in your life? The verdict's in. Christ has done it. He's given you life. So you can stop saying, let me go. Let me do my own thing. Open your hands to him. As we move to respond, there are a lot of us who are believers in this room. There might be some of us who think we're believers and we start hearing this stuff and the Spirit convicts and says, I I don't actually trust in Jesus. There are some of us who know people who aren't believers and we don't know what to do. We're burdened and convicted for them this moment. There are some of us who are consumed with boredom or getting rid of it, not believing that everything matters, but still thinking we have authority and control of our lives. There are some of us who, who are filled with bitterness, and the Spirit's revealing to you right now as I say bitterness, as I say drink the poison, hoping it kills someone else. There are people in your mind like, I am full of bitterness. There are people in this room that are full of self-orbit, They're full of self-hate. To all those things, we say the verdict is in. Jesus is everything. He's king. Here's how I'd encourage you to respond this morning. Open your hands. Ask the Lord, how do I better believe in you? How do I trust in you? Ask the Lord, where is the bitterness, the boredom, the whatever's standing out to you right now? Open your hands to the Lord. I can't decide that for you. I can't pave the exact way for you, but the Spirit's here. The Spirit will guide. Stop saying, let me go. Another thing you can do is respond in boldness. We've explained before about the altar. I know these are just steps to some people. And maybe this is some like, you know, uh, early 1950s or 1990 way. Oh, we don't come forward anymore. I don't come forward because I don't want whatever it is. Stop. Like, When we act in faith, we say, I believe, and therefore it transforms my actions. Because faith is action. Has to be. Otherwise, you don't really believe. If God's moving you in some way, if you've got someone you want to pray for, something you want to lay down, some bitterness, some self-hate, come here. We'll pray with you. There's several people up front. Members of the prayer team around, as soon as you get up here to pray, they'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. Whatever you need to do, stand with us as we respond. I want to read a couple verses as we respond to the Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Jesus said, John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He's not separated. He's passed 
from death to life? Are you walking in newness of life? Or are you still trying to have your own authority? There is a judge. Jesus will judge. Do you let him advocate for you? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would guide this time. As we respond, I pray that you would be bringing to the surface the bitterness, the doubt, the self-hate, the sins that we cling so tightly to in our own authority. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, for conviction, that you would bring us to contrite hearts that stand before you open-handed, believing that Jesus advocates for us through our faith in him. And God, I pray that we would see more and more stories of redemption in our church, of you breaking down the walls, of you bringing people into life. Teach us what life looks like. God, bring doubt in us to the parts of life that we hold to that aren't life in you. And I pray that, that things that are said and preached here that, that are not your words would be forgotten and that you would continue to ripple your truth. Guide us as we respond in your spirit. We trust you, Father. Teach us to trust you more. If you need to pray, we'll be down here.